episode of the Opvat cast. I am, of course, Steve Cuff, and joining me today, Mr. Sean Glynnis. Hello, folks. What was that, what was that little whistle thing you got going there? Is that, is that your new brand? It's just uh, congratulatory. It's like a congratulatory whistle. He's testing whistle. out his new pop filter. Oh, yeah, that must be it. That's, that's got to be it. Working like a yeah. charm. Uh, I also... Uh, yeah, I'm, t- I'm testing out the new pop filter and the new Snapchat filter. Oh, yeah? And what's that? Uh, oh God. Is it just the uh, optimism vector? <laughs> it, tur- it turns me into a uh, Latino uh, teen athlete. I knew it. I thought I, I thought we were going to make the dancing hot dog from Snapchat our new logo, but you know whatever. <laughs> I guess I don't pull enough weight around here to make that decision. Uh, also joining us, we got Adam Myros today. I don't even know what you guys are fucking talking about. A what? dancing of, hot. Dog. Of course you don't. MySpace dot com backslash Adam Myros like. <laughs> You're not hip. You're not with the kids. You, you look don't... that up on your Nokia. Yeah, you gotta well, use your BlackBerry, motherfucker. You have you know, to. Today text I think we're... about that. <laughs> you know, or today Chacha. I think we're gonna really uh, Yaya's flame broil. Cha cha <laughs> is what I meant. <laughs> well, if some people would let me speak here, what I'm trying to say is, I oh. think we're gonna go over why I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I think there's a there's a pretty good reason, and and we're gonna illustrate that. For you folks this evening. There's a, there's a oh, good man. reason why Adam Myros isn't on Twitter. Uh, and it's not because he's, uh, you know, fucking stuck in the past churning butter and he can't load it onto his uh, fucking cow milking apparatus. Uh, Adam Myros lives on a farm, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen Coleman is here. Hey, it's the 50th. Is that our, that's our silver anniversary? Right? Silver anniversary, right? Yeah. We're going to throw a party with all our favorite old people? Yeah. Come on out, uh... I can't think of anybody who's still alive. <laughs> that's that sounds like a real problem, man. Oh yeah, all right. What about Stan Lee? He's got to be really old. Yeah, I think he's old. in his nineties. Yeah, he's he's getting up there, man. Harry Dean Stanton was about one hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah, that would have been my first choice, mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. second choice would have been Bobby Heenan. Both dead within days. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a fucking bummer, man. Uh, if if you want to really if you want to understand Bobby Heenan, and I'm sure Sean Glennis really wants to understand who Bobby Heenan is, there is a video up. If you search, is it on um, hunkshoe.org? Uh, it it is not to my knowledge, but if you go to Vimeo or if you just even if you go on Facebook and you search for Botchamania, there is a compilation video of Bobby Heenan during Survivor Series 1993. <laughs> doing commentary about the Hart family, and it is the most savage, hilarious shit I have ever heard in my entire life. It is just peak entertainment. Yeah, with zero context, you will just laugh hysterically at the things that he's saying. If anything is going to make Sean like wrestling in just the tiniest way, it's probably that Bobby Heenan compilation video. He would have been amazing at like one of those Dean Martin celebrity roasts. Oh yeah, he would. He'd be amazing at a roast right now. You know, he would kill Anthony Jeselnik and oh, who's the roast master? Jeff Jeffrey Ross. Ross. Yeah, my two favorite. Hey, you got a tiny dick. Anthony, Anthony Jeselnik. He's like he's he's like the uh, uh, like the the shock jock for the 
uh, like MySpace or not the MySpace, the uh, the <laughs> Snapchat generation. Fire. Sorry, I'm thinking like Myros right now. <laughs> Is that that guy who uh, pretended to be a 911 or something? I don't think you know. No. He's he's no, the guy. He's generically handsome and blonde, but all of his jokes basically boil down to ha ha. And then I killed a baby. He had his own yeah, show I, on uh, Comedy Central, the Jeselnik Offensive. He's coming to Bloomington soon. Good. Who was the guy Coleman that that uh, I was trying to think of this the other day? Uh, the one who said he was in nine eleven or or something like that. Oh God. I can't remember. But the, a similar name. The guy from SNL who uh was Davidson or whatever, um, whose like father died in nine eleven or something like that, like responded to him. Oh Jesus. After yeah. Hey, yeah. This is Steve Ranazisi. Oh yeah, there yeah. we go. Nothing like hey, Anthony Jones. Nine eleven was last podcast, boys. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Should we send any of these people episode forty nine? You think they dig it? Got a bone to pick with the three of you, by the way. I can't believe you threw uh, National Treasure Michael Moore under the bus like you did. <laughs> Bullshit. Coleman's yep. got a fucking out for trout hat in his closet. <laughs> <laughs> it is believable that he that it is believable that Michael Moore only burns at nine hundred and eleven degrees. Mm-hmm. That's true. Oh, it's all those preservatives from all the uh, Fritos has been. I just want to say, you know what, say what you will about the man, but he's wildly successful, and yet he can't find a way to make it into his local supercuts just for, like, a trim. Just clean it up a little. <laughs> I'm not saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, you know what, Michael Moore, you got you to look great. No, you don't need to be George Clooney, Michael Moore, but take, take a moment, cut your hair. Cut your hair, buddy. So you're, you're, you're not yourself. you're not saying, uh, you're not saying, hey, I don't need you to make a documentary about the Flint water crisis. Just... Get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, Sean. Uh, anyways, and he already made a Flint movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. so he's done. Yeah, he's done. <laughs> you, you, you'll get one. You only get one of those. That's like a filmmaker law. People don't know that. You get one Flint movie. That's it. Uh, okay, that's why. That, okay, that explains why Errol Morris has not done another Vernon Florida movie. Uh, I was waiting mm-hmm. for one. And it, yeah, well, it, his, Michael Moore's new Flint movie is, is going to be called Are You There, Roger? It's Me Again. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, anyways, today fucking sucked. Let me let me tell you some shit. So this is how I woke up this morning. My alarm goes off, and I open my eyes, Same. and my ca- I know this is relatable content. That's what we do here. My cat is is sitting on the bed staring at me as he often does, like a creep. This is nothing new. And literally the moment I open my eyes, he just goes blah. And then he just spits up one of like his his front canine tooth, which is really big. I didn't think it was that big, and just like spits it up on my chest. So immediately I scream and like run around like a crazy person. And then I just call a bunch of vets, and I'm like, "My cat's mouth is falling apart! Please, for the love of God, can I come in?" And so I I, I go to I, I go to the the, the vets, and they look at his mouth, and he's got uh, apparently he's got some infection in his mouth. And he may have to get a couple more teeth pulled, but this is where it gets really shitty. So one, I have to switch him to soft food, which is going to be devastating for my life because his his shits are going to be just oh so horrible. And it's like I gagged when I opened the can of it. Second, and this is and this is already a naturally foul smelling. Yeah, he is a foul, disgusting. I love him, but he is foul and disgusting. 
Uh, the other thing is, is they gave me drugs to give him. So twice a day, I have to give him these, uh, like, I don't know what they are, like steroids, antibiotics or something. And I got to give those to him. And then once a day, I have to give him these pain meds. Now, this isn't your standard issue. Oh, we're going to crush up the pill and put it in his food. No, 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 no. That would be too fucking easy. This is like a syringe without a needle that I have to place into his mouth and between his cheek and underneath his tongue, I have to squirt this in. So it is, like, I literally have to hold him in a headlock and I just, like, spray half the shit all over his face at, while he, like, screams. And, and that's, that's how I've been spending my day. So I could do that twice a day. That's great. And also, I'm a little bit upset with the vet because they give you, uh, like, a, a kitty health report card. And one of the one of the things that they have is they have like like you know like weight and all that shit. And we we, we weighed the big guy in today, and he came in at seventeen and a half pounds. Now, wow, that's I, pretty good for him. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so listen, listen. This is what this motherfucker does. He he fills out the kitten report card, and there's it's a sliding scale. So one is emaciated, three is normal, and five is obese. So this guy. Has the gall, and then there's there's a space afterwards, like how many pounds your cat needs to, you know, lose or or gain or whatever. This guy he circles the five and underlines it just so I know how fat my fucking cat is. <laughs> and then next to the the sliding scale, he writes five pounds for how much he needs to lose. Now keep in mind, the last time I took his ass to the vet, he was he like twenty two pounds. pounds. He's lost five pounds. What? So this is this is cat body shaming. Clearly, this is like when you watch. Yeah. When you watch like my nine hundred pound life or something on the Discovery Channel, and right, this is us, yeah, like the guy, the guy gets down to like three fifty, <laughs> and and then the doctor was just like, eh, not good enough. It's like what? This is he has made amazing progress considering he does not move all day and is a disgusting monster. And there's just there's no no respect for the cat, none at all. Well, can I can I ask how much of those five pounds are tooth weight? Mm. Yeah, oh, it question. was a big tooth, probably at least a pound. So, okay, you got to no, consider. Still, still very this, good. I think this might this tooth thing might really aid in in inserting the syringe. You know. Yeah, I know it gives me a little more room to do it. Can't you like spread a little bit of like tuna smell on the syringe? Yeah, that's a... that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to have to do my current like force feed him a, a a syringe is not is not really working too well. So we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to power through. We're gonna have to figure it out. So my, what would happen my, uh, if you took this this syringe and squeezed it into the wet cat food and mixed it in? Uh, I don't know. I'm just following directions. The guy was like, this is really finicky medication. You got to do it this way. I'm sure the, uh, the the other one is just like a painkiller. So I'm sure I could just put that on his food and he'd eat it because he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, why don't I, you give me some not so fucking finicky medication? That'd be great. Yeah, that'd well, be nice. I, my, my suggestion is that uh, uh, Lawless, uh, he should be called uh, Toothless. There you go. Look at this guy. You should you should write for <laughs> SNL. <laughs> You got any good Sean Spicer material you can kind of so weave in like with that? Tootsies and toothless. The driving oh cat without teeth. <laughs> Holy shit. Go. And then, so not only did I have this happen this morning, but last night I went to the movies and I saw I saw Mother! Exclamation point. That's bad enough. Yeah. And mother! Yeah. First of all, it has nothing to do with Glenn Danzig, which was deeply disappointing to me. Oh, uh, man, tell your children not to run my way. Yeah. Second of all, 
probably the worst third act I've seen in quite some time. So it's it's really astounding wait, wait, wait. how stupid it gets. So, uh, what is that? Um, <clears throat> real quickly, what is what what are like runner up? Like what was previously like what is the worst third acts you can think of like what comes to mind to anybody Ooh, brother solomon brothers <laughs> we saw that movie hands down <laughs> i can't say that i've seen the first or second act of brother solomon that's a good question i, feel like I have i feel like i have. is that the wait no is that that's not the prison movie is it no, same director, uh, America's Sweetheart. We go to prison. Okay. I don't know. I, I think I think the end of Greece has a really special place in my heart because it's just like you know, it's this uh, you know movie about these high school kids who are trying to have sex with ladies even though they probably don't want to, and that's that's bad. But at the end, they're like, oh, and then they fly away in a fucking car. Why? Why the fuck does your car have to fly? What does that have to do with anything? When do we when do we introduce magical realism into the exciting sing song world of Greece? I don't know. I feel like the the right answer is the village. The mm. uh, yeah, well, the, the answer is literally any M Night Shyamalan movie you can think of. Uh, the village is is got to be the worst. Oh yeah, the, the village is very bad, and this is this is some village level shit. Except I guess the the difference is is you're like I know the wheels are gonna come off. But how are they going to come off? And and this one is like the, the premise is pretty simple. It starts off. This is my favorite subgenre of movie. It's called "Hey, why won't Ed Harris leave my house?" And <laughs> wait, Ed TV? Yeah, it's like it's just like Ed TV. Uh, so Ed Harris won't won't leave the house, and that's and that's fine. And then it kind of turns into Rosemary's Baby a little bit, and you're like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. And then it just gets so goddamn stupid. And I'm telling you, the last five minutes of this movie, it would make M. Night Shyamalan blush with its stupidity. It is astounding. I don't know. I still have some hope. Uh, I still have some hope. All right. Well, I mentioned that because that's how Ed Harris got cast in uh, Apollo 13. Oh, yeah? He, he just, just wouldn't he leave would the house. not leave Ron Howard's house. And he's like, <laughs> fine, Ed, you can be in the movie. You can do it. That's okay. Wait, Ron- You're not going to be in the spaceship. Ron Howard, director of Ed TV. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and the other the other good thing about this this genre of film, Ed Harris won't leave my house. Is Michelle Pfeiffer is great in it because her entire role is like just upset and indignant over the fact that Jennifer Lawrence is like Ed Harris, get out of my house, and she's like, why do you want Ed Harris to leave? We're great. We're great here. So she's wonderful. But yeah, it's it's been a rough uh, rough couple of days. Rough couple of days. But thankfully, uh, you guys subjected me to some hot trash on top of the hot trash and personal tragedies of cat teeth on my chest that I've been experiencing. So thank you all for that. Sean, this is a carryover from our episode 49 discussion. And we, we figured out that when we were discussing the movie Rain Over Me, that the gentleman who wrote and directed Rain Over Me, we were like, what else is this guy? Yeah, what else has this guy done? And I just got sort of nonchalant. I was like, oh, he did some Kevin Costner movie I've never heard of called Black or White. And then you and, and Myros both just like recoiled in horror because you had somehow <laughs> watched this movie at my house when I was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and did you did you pick up right where you left off? Or, or how, So we decided... We we're gonna watch it again. Did you did you watch it all the way through? And and did it really change your mind? Do you do you have a deeper understanding? Yeah, uh, I did have a deeper understanding, uh, but mainly because uh, I I was probably 
very drunk when I watched it at your place, and I doubt I stayed awake the whole time, um, as I want to do. You know, Sean, uh, when I'm drunk and I'm, you know, scanning through Netflix or whatever, I try to find things that, I don't know, maybe it'll kind of make me laugh. Or you know what? Think, what in God's name made you say, "Hey, this"? I think this was uh, this was because I had the remote and Myros was there, and so I, I think I wanted to uh, make Myros watch black or white. Okay, so you're a bully. Yeah, when does Michael Jackson make an appearance? Is that is that a is that correct, Myros? Do you feel like that's the right? Well, that that sounds pretty accurate. You know, I'm I'm kind of a hardened racist and Sean was probably just trying to soften my heart. That's that's gotta be it. Yeah, I was proselytizing uh for equality and uh at any chance I can get. And Black or White hit Netflix and I thought, you know what, I can't wait to get back to Steve Coast's apartment. I'm gonna show him this movie. He's gonna change his mind about non white folks and um yeah, here we are. And Kevin Costner movies. Oh God! I, I know. Before before I saw Black and White, I was like Kevin Costner and Bull Durham. <laughs> More like bullshit. I hate this guy. And now, like my whole worldview has been changed. What is this movie uh, about? Two, two the, tins, one cup. For uh, the love of the game, for the love of God. Yeah. Uh, 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 a field of dreams. More like nightmares. Um, <laughs> So I thought this was going into a summary there. What do you think? Like, no, he's just reaching for a bad pun, <laughs> and it turns out to be the most obvious one available. Excellent work. Uh, what is this okay, movie about, so other than black, Kevin black, Costner okay, saves black, yes, black yes, people? Yes, yes. Black or White is, um, is sort of the genesis of um, Kevin Costner's third wave uh and, and one that cements his stature as um white savior uh so he, we had known him in part as this white savior through uh dances with wolves um and i i i feel like there i haven't has anyone seen the postman I mean, years ago, <laughs> uh, but most people don't like willingly subject themselves to that what are you gonna double feature yeah. that with Waterworld? jesus I'd already yeah, seen that, my favorite movie about a postman at that point called Dear God, so I was good. <laughs> uh, what's his name is in that? Um, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Dances with Wolves really cemented him uh, or, or just sort of like introduced him, I should say, as mm-hmm. like this white savior. Um, and he definitely uh, he definitely dabbles in, in that territory throughout his career. Um but he's also uh, just America's like uh, boy down the street, uh, white boy down the street. Um, he, he's always been – he's had this amazingly consistent persona throughout his career uh, mm. as, as sort of this ultimate underdog, like uh, almost a self-proclaimed underdog at this point. Like yeah. he wants you to know that he has the answers – but he wants you to find out for yourself that he has the answers, you know, like sort of this very mm-hmm. like fatherly figure. Um, he's he, the blue collar he, everyman. He's the blue collar everyman, but he's also like the boomer avatar, right? Sure. Yeah, you know, that's sure. why he plays baseball in all his movies. And, you know, he, exactly. sort of persona, he's, it really lends itself to sports films. Can I just say, like, I tried to count how many baseball films he'd been in, and I felt <laughs> like it was about, oh, 
I don't know, 47, but it's only I three. Mean, really? Three? Yeah, there's three. That's still but that's way too lot. many. That yeah. is a lot. That's a I lot. I feel like uh, we should just count draft day as well. That that, that counts. And and three. Yeah, yeah, sports. Uh, well, yeah. If we bring sports into that's a whole not. That's a subgenre. I like Kevin Costner sports movie. That's a trivia category. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, Field of Dreams. Is this not just like a guy trying to do something to get away from his family, like to to hang out with dudes? Yeah, yeah, it's probably well, he, he's probably insane too, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think all these baseball ghosts are just fucking showing up at his house. Hey, uh, boring ass Iowa town. What else are you gonna do? <laughs> Sprinkle a little imagination on that cornfield. Yeah, I mean, if I if I lived in the middle of insane, and build a baseball field and pretend that ghosts are everywhere. That sounds like the American dream. What would you do if you lived in Iowa? I'd probably do the same thing. I go. You live on a farm, Myros. Haven't you ever stared off into the vast expanses of rural Michigan and said, "Maybe I should build a baseball field for ghosts"? Uh, there's a baseball field on my farm. <laughs> ah ha ha! Um, okay, so it this all pro- makes sense. This persona, this sort of like every man, uh, white American boy, uh, do good. Well, not exactly do gooder, but sort of yeah, whatever. This boomer. Boy, Avatar, Sandlot, kid, come to life. Um, it, it gets really problematic. It turns out when you throw it on top of his ambitions to mend racial relations, like rifts within racial relations in America, and this this turned from inferential to just overt uh, subject matter with uh, black or white, um, and has only amped up since, which is good news for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is I don't know. He plays this drunk. Uh, <clears throat> he I think he like adopted this. Uh, he has a black daughter, and his wife dies, and somehow that that brings into picture the child's uh, grandmother, played by Octavia Spencer, and it precipitates this um, legal battle. This is basically a court drama. It's so boring. Mm-hmm. It's. It's endlessly boring, um, but it's it's just about this this court battle and race comes into it here and there, um, but and spectacularly at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it sort of like is sort of uh, you're kind of wondering like with a title like black or white, you're you're kind of like okay, this is gonna be uh, sort of uh, the crux of of everything. It's gonna be about race, and it's sort of just barely simmers, and and then it, it sort of sparks up quite a bit um here and there in very uh interesting ways but um it, it likes to take this sort of like centrist uh view of things centrist right uh view of things but um so it's more of a shade of gray than it is black or white no there you go there's your there's your back of the dvd quote yeah See, i feel like i really understand what sean's complaints were about rain over me uh a lot better this week because this is a very, 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 very poorly made movie that doesn't understand its tone in the least. It, it, it's, no. by all rights, a pretty somber film, and yet they seemed unwilling or unable to make a somber film. There's just, like, unnecessary, out-of-nowhere, like, forced humor in the film. And uh, How is Bill Burr in it? Oh my god, he's the most vanilla thing you can imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he's just plays this straight man. 
plays his son or something. I don't know. No, he's not his son. He's he doesn't have a son. It's, I don't it's, know. Uh, is he's like he just works for the law for something? Sure, he's just like a guy to show and up and be like, Gillian "Hey, Jacobs. stop drinking." <laughs> Gillian Jacobs plays uh, Bill Burr's girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend oh, or wife. What a bizarre concept! <laughs> and she shouldn't even be in the movie. She's literally there for like a couple of punchlines to be thrown yeah. away, and then just goes away. It's. Again, there shouldn't be punchlines in this fucking movie. You don't make like Kramer versus Kramer and have some yucks in the center of it. it yeah, make a lot it, of it, it's weird. It's weird too because when the race starts to come up, like, <clears throat> um, so uh, uh, Kevin Costner goes into, um, I guess, the hood as he imagines it, but it, the transformation is like he's entering the hell mouth, which is very <laughs> odd. Oh, God. Hell central. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he approaches um, uh, Octavia Spencer and kind of talks about, like, uh, the child um, sort of, like, hanging in the balance. And Octavia Spencer is the first one to bring up race. And she she makes a case that, that he's racist, you know, kind of, like, just softly. Like, you don't want uh, her to be around black people or something like that. Basically just saying like, you're, you know, you, you have something against black people, but she, she, she brings it up in, in a very tempered way. And, you know, he's phobic of black people and all this stuff. But, uh, yet when, when Octavia Spencer's attorney, uh, I think Anthony Mackey, um, tries to make this case, in just like preliminary meetings as they're coming up to the to this to this court case anthony mackie is talking to octavia spencer and is like so he's racist right like uh you know he doesn't like black people and she and she's like well well, i i I wouldn't say that you know and and it's just like what do you what are you trying to say with this movie like it doesn't want to it's the definition of not wanting to call somebody racist because i don't say the n-word uh, type of thing you know it's yeah. like well how can i be racist if i have a black daughter type yeah of, type i have black movie. friends come on yeah yeah well and i think and, i think that really speaks to what you were saying this this whole philosophy of like this this like centrist slash center right view of how to make a movie about race and mm-hmm. movies of this vein they i mean they obviously they position a white character as the savior but in addition to that they sort of paint african-americans or whatever the minority community is in each movie's case as like the worst stereotypes uh, possible oh we'll get there yeah we'll definitely get there and and also it it, like the, the central thesis to a movie like this is just like yeah but reverse racism huh you ever think about that it's like no motherfucker because that's not a real thing you fucking idiots and it only exists yeah. in this like fictional dream world specifically to drive home that asinine ideology. Yeah, I'm not sure like what what the point of this movie is because it's again I, when you're talking about quote unquote reverse racism, it's it's generally very ignorant of institutionalized racism. Uh, but institutionalized racism seemingly doesn't really exist in the world of black or white. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really know. It doesn't yeah. seem like anyone learns anything. I mean, I didn't, I did, I did watch the entire film and was not as, as plastered as our good friend, Sean at, at your apartment. But this time around, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I had to skip around a bit, but I mean, I, 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 I got to like five minutes from the end of the movie and it, it's Kevin Costner 
wasted off his ass, and then his his daughter's uh, father. father or his Biological granddaughter's father. father. Yeah, his granddaughter's father, who is Octavia Spencer's son and a junkie, like oh, shows up to his house and uh, with a switchblade <laughs> and knocks Kevin Costner into a pool and then saves him and but it, they haven't overcome anything they're they're both still heavily dependent on their various vices and uh there's a great animus I mean, between them it's a classic yeah. um <clears throat> like uh Coleman like you got to stop Steve, breathing so uh, heavy See, like, like you said, Steve, there, there's like uh, it boils it down to stereotypes, and it's this classic thing where it brings in this character uh, who is played by I don't know his name, but he played Kevin in Moonlight, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he um, they bring in a guy who is stereotypical of like what racist white people think of black people, like he's he's a junkie and he uh, I don't know I guess did crack or something or like had a crack habit whatever and like left his his daughter and it, so it brings in like this this uh overshadowed um stereotype uh to make this like more of a dynamic like white versus black thing to sort of like bring it back to the center mm-hmm. uh, and justify uh white people's view of black people but um th- there's a point where uh Kevin Costner is pissed off at um at the 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 girl's uh biological father in the street and he calls him the n-word in very um uh probably the worst like the worst way you can you can like if not that there are usually levels but he he just like he it's entirely degrading and and he calls him the n-word a couple times and um uh this gets brought up in court and he's like well you know, he gets questioned about being a racist, and he's like, no, you know, well, he's like, you know, of course, when I see somebody who's black, I, the first thing I think of their skin, the same way I think, the first thing when I see a woman, I think about their breast, and then I think about something else, and it's just like, wait a second, what? Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm a misogynist, not a racist. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what, what kind like, of defense is that? Great if you'd be like, breasts, ah, I mean vagina. <laughs> But he he like uh, he literally goes on to say right from there that what he thinks does not matter, but his interactions and how he handles his thoughts in interpersonal relationships is what actually matters and what constitutes racism and not racism. And it it, it it's just it, it's it's so crazy to see him spin this yarn and have it have the film be behind his back this whole time about it being like yeah man like. I got mad and I said this thing, but that doesn't mean I'm a racist. And it, 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 like Myra said, it just sort of like undercuts the whole idea of systemic institutionalized racism. And and I mean, this is the this is the problem, not just the black and white, black or white, but uh, of like discourse in general. Um, w- between with this issue is that it's all about pointing the fingers about who's racist and who's not, and and not sort of like talking about you know these these uh, systemic issues and where they come from and how they're perpetuated. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's yeah and then he comes back to him with a knife um of course uh but it it's just sort of like really frustrating to see it um to see Kevin Costner play you know use his persona of sort of this underdog as a white dude uh in a court case against these black people who are just like trying to take their their uh daughter/granddaughter slash away from this 
drunk white guy. Terrible fucking drunk. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think a real character you want to root for because he's a he's fucking like super goddamn rich because he's just like a shitbag lawyer uh, in L.A. And B, he is literally again the tone of this fucking movie because it's it's got like a score from kindergarten cop in like the first hour and it's like, <laughs> boom, boom, the, boom, 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 boom. and then it, he's just like and it scored to him like <laughs> pouring a tumbler of whiskey and fucking slugging it down to visions of his dead wife <laughs> I realize that this is a 2015 movie, but I'm starting to think this is loosely based on the life of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, it could be. That seems about right. And, and that's and that's exactly it. This is like there's there's a lot of parallels there uh, between like how Hulk Hogan views himself. And yeah, like when Kevin Costner is like dropping N-bombs like it's going out of style. And then, you know, you have Hulk Hogan doing the same thing and, and he gets on the stand. And he's like, no, brother, that was that was uh, the Hulkster. That that wasn't Terry Belia. That's who I am. It's like, no, dude. Yeah. Terry Belia, well, yeah. 10 inch penis Hulk Hogan does. <laughs> yeah, there's also um, there was also uh, just this year earlier, a straight to video uh, sequel. But it was just about um, <laughs> it was just about uh, Kevin Costner's character in a court case with uh, this uh, editorial site called Balker. <laughs> um, but I haven't checked it out yet. No, I'm not familiar with that one. <laughs> you know, it's it's important to note too that that this movie there, there's another Kevin Costner movie that uh, it fits into a couple of genres that I have zero interest in. But here I am talking about these movies. Um, it, it's not just a white savior movie, but it's it, it's also a high school after school special type of movie, and yeah. it also fits under the broader umbrella of movies that uh, it's not just about being a white savior but it's about being like an outsider of a higher class who comes into the ghetto and then like saves the children because they're the only person who can do it so you know you have movies like <coughs> excuse me like stand and deliver which kind of fits the same mold as as the white savior movie um mm-hmm. so this Is movie Edward james almost supposed to be white what no 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 i'm saying i'm saying he no he's he's not white but he comes okay. in as an outsider from like a higher class, like, oh, I'm this refined person and I have to come in and I'm the one who Dangerous has to save Minds. you. Yeah, Dangerous Minds is, a, is another good example. And again, that's a white savior movie. It's just like, oh, this really nice, well-educated white woman is the only person who can save these black kids because no one from their own community has the ability to do that. Uh, <laughs> McFarlane USA... jacket kick some ass. Yeah, McFarlane USA is is one of the most egregious examples of this. It is literally about a disgraced <laughs> pile of shit coach who, in all honesty, should be, like, thrown in the fucking Grand Canyon. And instead, uh, he finds a job teaching, like, gym and, and coaching track at this tough inner city school where he, you know... Right outside Bakersfield. Right outside of Bakersfield, baby. Yeah, was it? it's in Lancaster or something like that? Or where was it? Somewhere like that. I don't it's know. Mar- McFarland. McFarland, yeah. Well, that's yeah, who McFarland. McFarland. Uh, <laughs> no, but I... Yeah, McFarland, USA. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I, saying I it's... I do like how the... Like, one of the major subplots of the first half of the movie is, is how they're striving to... Uh, Move to Bakersfield to commute to McFarland because it's such a fucking paradise. Like, yeah, it's no. like yeah, no, no, don't do that. I mean, I guess they're rather live in McFarland. There's an in and out. <laughs> I've been to McFarland. It's not a place you want to be. Uh, but yeah, and like the, the 
yeah, go ahead. The, the The point is, is that I mean, again, we're in a situation where like this guy is a complete pile of shit, and there's no reason to root for him. Other than, but he's got this persona. Yeah, other than the fact that, well, he's a pile of garbage, but gosh darn it, he's our pile of garbage, and he's gonna save these kids. Like, fuck you. But I don't know if this is so much Kevin Costner's fault, so much as this is a Disney film that's based on a true story, loosely based on a true story, mm-hmm. and that's a trope that Disney's been churning out since, you know, probably at least the eighties. Sure. Uh, closest I can think of is like Cool Runnings. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Infinitely enjoyable. Or one of, one of the three films. <laughs> one of the three honestly, films that my high school USA. owned. Yeah, honestly, McFarland USA and Cool Runnings are very similar films. No John Candy though. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and that is to say that if you're in the right mindset for the right demographic, McFarland USA is a fairly entertaining film. I'm just mm-hmm. not in that demographic. And and Costner, I would not fault him for any shortcomings of this because he's it's like the perfect utilization of his particular set of skills. He he has a certain gravitas about him, but there's this, there's a, there's something gross about it because it opens with, Oh my God. Yeah. It opens this locker room with like, it's like trying to justify how he's, he's a great guy, even though he fucking like whips a cleat at a kid's head and busts him open bleeding. Uh, but it's like, but that kid was a rich spoiled snot. He deserved it. <laughs> it was an accident. Costner, he's he's a good guy. It's yeah. Like, what? No, you can't fucking do that. No. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Yeah, uh, the, the the first um the first like twenty minutes or so of this movie are uh so frustrating uh and terrible um like so after that locker scene happens you know he gets like he finds his job in McFarland um. And again, it's like entering McFarlane is, is like entering the Hellmouth for for Mr. Costner, and um, because there are it's a town full of Mexican people, and um, it, it's Pickers. just seen, it's just seen like such through like the the lens of, of being white, um, like they 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 go to uh, uh, like they go to this restaurant right uh, when they first get there. And um, first of all, the kids are like looking out the window and just like, what, what is this? Because I don't know. They haven't seen <laughs> other people that aren't white before. And they go to this, this like restaurant, like just like a order at the counter restaurant. And um, or before they get there, he goes, uh, uh, they got to have a restaurant, right? <laughs> God. They go to this restaurant and he goes, you got burgers? And it is clearly like the sign it, it's it's all about trying to portray like this culture shock like that's that's what this movie's trying yeah, to do yeah kevin costner is, learns what a taco is for the first time at the age so, of fucking it's, 50 it's, it's not funny it's all it's it's all it's so dumb it's like if you walk into a mexican restaurant and they tell you that they have burritos and tacos and their menu says burritos and tacos and quesadillas and you ask are you got any burgers like that's your fault that's not that's not some like lost in translation. I'm culture shock. Like I don't know what how to work. And you're just yeah. a racist. This isn't fucking Indiana Jones. Like nobody's serving his ass chilled monkey brains. Like you know what a taco is, yeah, Kevin Costner. Tongue, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. It's not yeah, even. It's not even anything crazy. Yeah, where the fuck did he like 
where did he come from exactly? Did he like never go to a fucking like Taco Bell? You just pull through the drive through and was like, "Give me a burger." Yeah. It's like, what, <laughs> Wait, what when, you're un- when you're unwilling to even try to adapt to a different culture's cuisine at such a base level that's been homogenized, mm-hmm. that you're racist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and and this is the guy that we're supposed to relate to in the movie, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but look how many kids he saves and shit. Oh God! What were you gonna say, Coleman? I just I have to imagine that you know the times we're living in these crazy times that there probably is somebody racist enough to go to a Taco Bell right now and continuously order a burger. <laughs> yeah, but just imagine the scenario. It's like you know, it's like welcome to Taco Bell. How can I help you? Burger. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. We have burger. Burger. Uh, uh, sir, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, here we like to think outside the bun. That was a Taco Bell I don't, want, Thank you. I don't want none of those weird peppers you guys grow. They just put a bunch of ground beef into like a wax paper. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, even uh, even so, Kevin Costner, there uh, you can order a torta. Like, that is basically a fucking burger. You can get that at, at your average taqueria here. Like, this is, you just got to think a little harder, Costner. Uh, well, so, how would he know what the fucking torta is? That's, that's like yeah, fucking that's foreign true. language. That, yeah, we're is, asking. This is the type of stuff. This was the type of stuff. So I, I, I took my mom. Uh, my mom visited me when this came out, and I took her to, to like, a, a, the movies to see this. Like, this is what she wanted to see. And this was the type of shit that the movie expected people to laugh at. And they did while we were in the theater, right? Like, this was just up their alley. Um, but <clears throat> when, you, when they leave the taqueria or they're outside it or whatever, like, it's, it, it's like all Hispanic men are shown to be like very predatory like they're just pulling up and they in their in their cars and they're like low rider convertible whatever hydraulics like just like giving looks and uh and costner is so afraid that he doesn't want to stay there and eat with his family he's afraid for his family why because there are latino men driving cars (laughs) And, and this is supposed to be relatable like this is that's like that's sort of the nefarious line here is like that this isn't like uh this isn't just offered up it, it, it it's we're supposed to be relating to him yeah well and but uh, but he learns a valuable lesson which is later you can take those same scary uh young latino men and exploit them for personal gain and make yourself the hero of a shitty movie so you know there's there's always a silver lining <laughs> oh my god <clears throat> is there a playbook for that <laughs> Thank you, Coleman. He wrote uh, the fucking playbook. <laughs> well, so it, it, the the whole thing is he starts to like coach this 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 tracker cross, cross country team. Uh, he doesn't know how to pronounce like the first kid's name, which is Cardejo. Um, and uh, one of the teachers uh, points out that that this is one of the poorest towns in America. You know, which which sort of like cues us that you know once again Costner is the underdog. Which, mind you, as Myros brought up. He beat a kid over the head with the, with 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 a uh, what do you call it? Cleat. The, it was a cleat. cleat. <laughs> like that's not. That's, <laughs> we're, not we're not rooting for this guy, uh, but 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 apparently we are. And he's no longer racist. He 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 no longer is like weary of of these other the these people of this other race. Um, he sees an opportunity to to sort of like use this underdog identity through them to use these kids. As like a, I guess a conduit for his you know underdog persona. Um, he's gonna he's and, using and them it, to finally springboard to that uh, great posh Bakersfield house. <laughs> That's right, McMansions, baby. He 
it's it's so insulting because he he's he's using his underdog persona to like help them realize their idealized self right like so he's not here to help the underprivileged but to instill himself in them yeah. and it, it's about his abilities to to realize talent mm-hmm. rather than his ability to just help these people um, and and that sort of carries over over the whole movie. But can can you can you imagine a movie about like Kevin Durant's racist high school coach that we're supposed to care about? <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. that's pretty much it. These kids these kids are the talent. Mm-hmm. These, these kids are amazing. Some of them are, are amazing at what they're doing. But that's not what this movie's about. It's about mm-hmm. Kevin Costner being able to be this awesome coach. Like who the hell cares? Uh, uh, and and this is just like the systemic issue with. Costner films. Uh, I mean, like we we're not even going to tackle hidden figures, but we've talked about it before. But like he is helping underprivileged races. Uh, he uh, it's it's all self serving as as we understand. But uh, the the films are always framed as progressive, but obviously it's very performative. Yeah, no, I, I think I think the idea of, of the performative progressive fits Costner's career to a T, and it's interesting how art imitates life and uh, vice versa, because uh, Costner has said in interviews that uh, with McFarland USA and, and with black uh, or, and white or black or white or whatever it's called, uh, that he, he said, you know, I'm, I'm in this, this uh, part of my career where I can pick whatever movies I want, so I just, I just read the scripts, and if they move me, then that's the one I'm going to do, and I don't care. It's just it's got to be a story where I can connect. And it's like, no, dude, it's, it's kind of always been about you. So I want to take you guys back in, in a time machine. So let's go back, and this is before Kevin Costner got drunk in England and tried to molest a massage therapist. <laughs> so... Uh, this a is therapist. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a thing that he did in in like ninety seven. So this is from February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety five. It's from the New York Times, and it's called "To Some Sue, the Indian Tribe." Uh, Coster now dances with the devil. Hmm. So uh, Kevin Costner became a hero among American Indians five years ago for his movie Dances with Wolves, a tribute to the Lakota Sioux culture before white swarmed the Black Hills in the eighteen seventies, snatched land and searched for gold. So. If we were talking about Dances with Wolves, which we're not going to do, um, what you could say about that movie is, yeah, it's kind of racist. But, uh, you know, I, I suppose the residual effects of it being so popular is it, in some circles, allowed people to be critical of it and engage in discourse and actually maybe learn some things about, about race and, and whatnot. So sure. anyways, uh, uh, the actor was presented by tribal leaders with a hand-woven quilt and honored with a cere- in a ceremony in which a sacred eagle feather was tied in his hair, a gesture of appreciation for his sensitivity to Sioux traditions. Okay, great. So the Sioux are like, hey, Kevin Costner, we think it's awesome that you brought attention to our tribe, so here's some shit. Uh, fast forward a couple years later. Now Mr. Costner wants to build a huge new casino and resort here, and some Sioux feel betrayed. The resort would be partly built on national forest land that tribal leaders believe belonged to the Indians. Uh, quote, after the movie, I thought he was pretty cool, said Joe Pulliam, a 26-year-old Sioux artist who lives on the Pine Ridge Reservation in Shannon County, the poorest county in America. But now it seems like he's just another white guy coming here to take what he can get. Uh, the complicated dispute over the land sought by Mr. Coster and his business partner and brother Dan Coster dates to the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it goes on to detail how Kevin Costner and his brother are trying to use all these legal loopholes and swindling so they can build 
on 600 acres of this forest with a fucking like 18 hole golf course and a bunch of bullshit. It so sounds this, like a story I've heard before. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is exactly what we're talking about. Kevin Costner doesn't give a fuck about you. He gives a fuck about your perception of Kevin Costner and who Kevin Costner is, and that's why oh, yeah. it, that's it why makes perfect has sense in these movies. Who is like the real racist? Like, there's a coach in McFarland who who uh, is for a different team, and he goes, "Run that way, amigo!" And it's like Kevin Costner scoffs at him, of course. Because it's like, whoa, this guy's racist. Can you believe it? Yeah. Bet, Can you believe how much marginally more racist taco. he is? <laughs> yeah. And no, and, yeah. and that's that's exactly it. It's so Kevin Costner thinks that he's doing good, but it's all like not only are his characters posturing as progressive for audiences who aren't going to be critical of his stances and his positions, but also he, as an actual human, to no one's surprise, doesn't give a flying fuck about people who think that, you know, he cares about them. Oh so that's boy. Kevin Costa. Not, I feel a I feel a transition coming, but I oh. want to posit I want to posit that <laughs> another <laughs> yeah. thing that really drove me a little nuts about McFarland is that it did it did play by that same game that Dances with Wolves did so many years prior, where this foreign culture becomes this sort of miracle salve to rub on all your ills for the white man and it's yeah. just like it, it, I don't know. It's like some sort of magical Negro trope, except applied to an entire culture and people, where it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, they exist in this film solely to better Kevin Costner's fiscal and family life. Yep, that's exactly yeah. it. They exoticize, they exoticize them for their own personal gain. And this is a great transition, because speaking wait, 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 of progressive can posturing... I, can I, wait, wait, wait. Wait, you're wait, killing wait. me. Tell, you're killing me. Can I tell a story? I, I feel like Coleman had a story, uh, or he mentioned having one. I can't remember what it was about, but uh, something to do with Costner. But when I when I took my mom to see McFarlane USA, uh, we went to Culver's, a great Midwestern establishment afterwards, <laughs> to get some ice cream. Yeah. And uh, this has nothing to do with McFarlane USA, by the way, but... Um, uh, we were sitting there just chatting about the movie a little bit and and whatever and and she goes, well, uh, you're not gonna like this. I was like, oh, okay. She's like, I had a dream the other day. Well, I guess it was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was like gonna recite Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> she, uh, I was like, okay, uh, and she goes. I, I, I uh, yeah, I had a dream that uh, you came out to me, uh, <laughs> and that was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! And I, I was like, what? <laughs> what if I did? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not very encouraging. <laughs> you should have told her you were gay just to teach her a lesson. Uh, at that point. Uh, but yeah, uh, McFarland USA will always be tied to me as the moment my mom told me if I ever uh, came out to her, it would be a nightmare for her. That's good. That's good. Coleman, you, you, do you have a, uh, a Costner story before we transition here? I, I do have a very specific Costner story. All right, lay it on me, baby. Um, so, and this is something I've researched just to make sure it wasn't this weird, tall tale that's been traveling around. Um, but my brother had a... And this is where it sounds a little tricky, I admit. 
but he had a friend of a friend who worked at a premier hotel in downtown Milwaukee. And I forget if it was either the uh, Hilton or the Pabst Hotel, which is an independent hotel. One of those two hotels. And Kevin Costner was in town. This would have been the early aughts. Doing some sort. I actually think he was in town with like his country band that he tours with. Jesus Christ! <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so he did a show, and he's after the show. At some point, he's at the hotel bar, and everybody in, who works at the hotel is like, "Oh fuck, Kevin Costner's here." He's just like hanging out at the bar, and it's not too crowded, but there's like one other guy at the bar. And he instantly recognizes Kevin Costner, and he's just like, Hey! Hey! You're Kevin Costner! Holy shit! Kevin Costner! And Kevin Costner is just like, Yeah, hi, thanks a lot. Yep, thank you. All right, cool. And the guy just won't stop talking about how Kevin Costner, like, Holy shit! You're Kevin Costner! Oh my god! Yeah, you're Waterworld! Woo! <laughs> the Postman! They're just like purposely naming off all the like horribly received movies Kevin Costner's <laughs> done. It's, and this is early 2000s, so he's like, Kevin Costner's like gone from like this prestige actor to just kind of like being the butt of a joke. This is just probably like right before Rumor Has It comes out or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he just won't stop. And then Kevin Costner at one point is like, hey, all right, cool. Like, you know, I'll, I'll shake your hand, but just, just stop shouting movie titles at me. <laughs> For the love of the game! Shit, <laughs> cop! Yeah! And then after an extended amount of time of this happening, just this drunk guy shouting out movie titles to him, Kevin Costner walks up to the guy. And he, like, takes his right hand, four fingers, and he puts his thumb across his four fingers and just chops the guy in the neck, right in the throat. Pop! What? God. And the Kevin Costner... Cur- <laughs> and the guy drops to the floor. Kevin Costner unzips his fly and starts pissing on him. <laughs> starts pissing on him. Wait, wait, wait. Did he He's think like, it was the filtration system from Waterworld? Guy <laughs> <laughs> kept saying Waterworld. But and Kevin Costner's like, you don't fucking talk shit about me. You don't fucking talk shit about me. But it turns out the guy was like a huge Kevin Costner fan. So as Kevin Costner is urinating on him, he's like, oh yes, the sweet nectar of Kevin Costner. Oh my god. Yes. (laughs) And I think at that point, hotel security finally came and like broke it up, and they kicked the one guy out. And Kevin Costner just like sat at the bar, finished his drink. After he peed on someone? That's amazing. <laughs> Kevin Costner gave a guy a golden shower in Milwaukee. You heard it, you heard it here first on the Outback cast. And, and, like, I heard it, and it's kind of like, man, that's, like, such a specific story, but it also sounds like it could be a tall tale. And I've looked it up for years. I heard the story, like, five or six years ago, and nothing else has, like, come up, like, no Google search or anything. So this is a le- a legit story from some very trustworthy sources. Yeah. So don't uh... – Also, we, we, have a, we have a title for episode 50, Kevin Costner's Golden Shower. Uh, I thought you were going to say Field of Streams. Field of Streams. <laughs> <laughs> we got a new winner. Field of Streams. <laughs> Thank you, God. All right. Hey, let's stop talking about a guy who pees on people and uh, start talking about a guy who's like a literal human pile of shit. So speaking of people who 
use progressive posturing to further their careers, even though in real life they're garbage human beings. Uh, boy, Devin Farachi's had a hell of a week, hasn't he? Indeed. Oh, God. So I guess we'll, we'll break. Who is Devin Farachi? Who is Devin Farachi? So a long, long time ago in the days of like sites built on GeoCities, when Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News ruled the world, uh, a new breed of film bloggers and critics were sort of coming up, and this is like mid-2000s. So you have people who are maybe not traditional journalists, and I say maybe not, definitely not traditional journalists, definitely not traditional critics. They mostly come from fan communities, and they sort of enter the world of criticism. Cool. So at this point... Uh, you you kind of you start to see this sort of uh, friction build between your traditional critics and, and your and your new media blogger yeah, stylistic types critics. change between like trying to be the loudest voice in the room and somebody who's just like talking about like analytic view mm-hmm. movies exactly and in this new breed of screaming fanboy critics Devin Faraci uh, sort of builds a name for himself on beloved film website chud.com, which I don't even think is around anymore. So as he kind of rises to the ranks and Chud becomes a popular film website despite its awful name, uh, <laughs> Farachi finds what? himself... That's the best name, man. Chud? Chud? No, it'd be better if it was chud to budthechud.com. Budthechud.com. <laughs> also, after, after we, we register Cheney th- flew the planey.com to redirect to optimism vaccine, can we also register budthechud.com to, to redirect <laughs> optimism vaccine? Just throwing it out there. Patreon Chud. stretch goal. does still exist, by the way. Oh, does it? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, That's so Faraji's been <laughs> in the era of Chud. Faraji starts getting invited to you know film festivals, premiere events, press events, things of that nature. Now, while this is happening within the industry itself, he sort of builds, and by sort of, I mean he definitely builds a reputation among critics for being a pile of shit, uh, just an all-around not nice person. Uh, eventually, he takes to Twitter. And becomes involved in Badass Digest, which would become Birth Movies Death, which is owned by the Alamo Draft House and is kind of their film news and criticism arm. And uh, Farachi becomes more popular on there, becomes editor in chief, and he makes a name for himself on Twitter, being loud and having opinions. Now, while on Twitter, you kind of get a glimpse of who Farachi really is, because while he uh, loudly and vocally supports progressive causes uh, he also has a few moments here like oh what what did you do in there man so there are numerous times where he repeatedly told other critics online to kill themselves and keep in mind this is not a child this is like a 35 year old man telling people like literally detailed ways to kill themselves other critics just because they disagree with him that you know batman's not the best movie ever or some shit and so you start to get a little glimpse of who he actually is then, if you recall, before the election, uh, a tape comes out of Donald Trump saying that, you know, he wants to grab women by their uh, pussies. And so, of course, Farachi does his usual uh, progressive posturing, grandstanding, and he, you know, he shouts out to all of his Twitter followers, yeah, fuck him, ba 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 ba. He tweets out a bunch of stuff. And then something really interesting happens because a woman kind of jumps into his mentions and is like, hey, Devin. 
Remember the time that you repeatedly grabbed me by the vagina at a bar and then I told you to stop and you wouldn't and then you bragged to all your friends about it? And then that was kind of the mic drop moment. <sighs> and so after Faraji was uh, outed for being gross, because this, this stuff had sort of been bubbling underneath the surface, like people knew that he was kind of slimy. Uh, and, and you could tell, too, in just even in his writing, you're like, eh, this guy's kind of a dick. And it kind of comes out that he's horrible. So what happens is, is the Alamo Draft House puts out a statement and they say, we, uh, you know, Devin has stepped down. He's going to do some soul searching and, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, fast forward mm, about 10 months or so. And it comes out that Devin Faraci has been writing copy for Fantastic Fest, which is a film festival put on by the Draft House. And more so than that, uh, about three months after he, you know, really hard finger quotes here, stepped down as editor-in-chief of Badass Digest, uh, it's revealed that he has been writing copy and doing editing for the Draft House basically the whole time. So he's never really fired. It was just this whole posturing even thing though, by the Draft House. Even though the CEO uh, promised uh, his, his vocal victim that uh, he had been taken care of like mm-hmm. he had not been working for the company anymore. Yeah, exactly and so the other thing to keep in mind too is after the fallout from you know farachi basically you know being outed as this gross dude uh some other people step forward and they emailed the guy from the draft house and they're like yeah uh, and devin did this to me and it was super inappropriate and devin has sexually harassed me in this way so i hope you're true to your word and yada yada and we've seen leaked emails where the owner of the draft house is like oh absolutely and i'm you know we're, we're taking care of it and blah 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 and all this stuff and it's all and it's all just fucking posturing it's all just letting devin farachi do whatever the fuck he wants and continue to swing his dick around when realistically there are pre- plenty of talented film critics out in the world who are not colossal piles of shit so what i want to know and is also getting fired for just you know yeah ha- you know the 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 Wave of journalism. And exactly. Advertising. So in, in, in the era where Grantland crumbles and talented writers are out of work, uh, in the era where Nathan Rabin basically uh, was Molly Lambert homeless. doesn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. All of these incredibly talented people, and yet the guy from Alamo Drafthouse is continuing to bankroll Devin Faraci's career. Like, uh, he could, there's so many other things he can do. And you know what? If he wants to continue to be a film critic, that's fine. Go start a fucking blog, Devin Faraci. Uh, but the fact that he's still employed is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, he's well, it's not. Right? Yeah. He's, he's I mean, yeah, it's it's not. It's it's mind-boggling when I think about it because I'm thinking, oh, yes. if I was in the position of the Alamo Draft House, fuck this guy. But then I'm like, you know, when I think about it, he's in this like really privileged position and uh the guy from the draft house much like devin farachi is all talk no action so there you go i'm not actually surprised at all now that i think about it i don't know if it's it's complicated in many ways to say like if i were in the position of the alamo draft house because it's it's not being in the position of alamo draft house being in the position of tim league who is by all accounts very good friends with Devin Faraci mm-hmm. and they've kind of come up together. So it yeah. can't be, it can't be easy to just be like, well, fuck you. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess he's finding out the, the wages of that now, uh, <laughs> as a businessman, um, trying to, I guess, temper 
uh, all the outrage and people unhappy with this. Um, but uh, God damn. See, this proves my point. Put your fucking head in the sand, move to a fucking farm. I shouldn't even well, know about God. it. This yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I mean, it, it was funny because, like, the the um, conversation, um, it, it was weird. It was weird that the conversation after this, like, there were people, uh, Tim League, the most vocal of them, like, on his Facebook account or whatever, saying, like, you know, backing up his decision. And he kept bringing up like second choices. Like his public statement was like, you know, he deserves a second or chance. Sorry, not choice. Oh, uh, he he uh, deserves a second chance. And um, a lot of people who were against Tim League's decision kept saying, like, you know, I believe in second chances. However, um, and, and it's weird that that um, to, to you don't really get a second chance when you. You have a history of of doing these things. Like, um, if you read some of the reporting out there, uh, it's it's been over decades. Uh, in, sometimes in public, but sometimes people coming out and being like, "Look, he did that." Like, he was uh, like your poster, like friend zone believer, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not just not just being frustrated by this, you know, uh, phenomenon called the friend zone, but also like doing things to emphasize. Uh, the fact that he should have this privilege to women's bodies, basically, and ruining friendships and ruining trust with people. And this was just like a habitual thing. And so when you are performative with your uh, progressivism and your feminism specifically, um, like it it just comes down to like the boy who call, who cries wolf. Like, why should we believe you and why do we have to hear you? Like we we shouldn't one, believe you. And two, we shouldn't have to hear from you. You should be moving to a farm. You should just like, you should be out of our our, our sight. You you should go and take care of this and not be. Uh, we we shouldn't be subjected to you as as a public person anymore because yeah. he, we're past that that point with second chances. And thankfully, he resigned. And, and who knows when and what went into that. Um, but until he adopts a pseudonym and keeps writing copy for Badass Digest or Birth Movies right. Death. Uh, yeah, I, I, man, the whole thing is gross to me. Uh, like, I, it, you know, I get it's a lot like you're taking a stand. It's a lot like the the Kevin Costner film Black or White. <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> Whereas Devin Faraci clearly is walking around hammered all day, every day, doing terrible fucking things and saying terrible fucking things. And uh, also, there's literally no one to fucking root for because, uh I don't know. I just hate this fucking Twitter like mob mentality as well, where it's like, it's just like, get grab your pitchforks. Anyone who fucking says Devin Farachi is not the Hitler is is the worst (laughs) person on earth. Just fucking fuck you if you if you have any opposing viewpoint on this. And it's just like, why does this have to be the fucking discourse? What a it should not be a public discourse. It's not a fucking public matter. And I get that he brought this on himself. Again, I don't have any dog in this fight. I don't support fucking Farachi. That's for goddamn sure. Mm. All accounts are he's a a huge piece of shit. But he... I also don't support this court of public opinion where it's it's just like, okay, well, you're not allowed to hire your friend. You're not allowed to fucking work because because we fucking said so. Uh, Twitter has spoken. Mm-hmm. And, I, I think yeah, like, I think the, the the reason that Twitter comes into play here and why it's it's kind of important in kind of getting him out or working to drive him out 
of of this space of film criticism is because you know his writing was occasionally confrontational but i think he 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 really said his he left his his most fiery takes for twitter and this this was a space where you know uh, he would, you know, praise Wonder Woman and talk about the lack of female directors in the film industry, and and you know, talk about how big of a feminist he is, and and that's you know, that's fine if that's who you are. But really, he was just building this defense mechanism to hide the fact that oh, in real life, you're a pile of shit. Um, so then, when he would lash out on Twitter, so I, you know, uh, I think a, f- a few months before this whole thing broke with him. Um, sexually assaulting this woman he literally because uh, this guy had a lot of followers like hundreds of thousands of followers uh he sicked a mob of his of his fans of these farachi fans on a woman who was just like actually jessica jones is bad for these reasons <laughs> and it's just and he's just like how dare you insult jessica jones the ultimate female superhero twitter Jesus followers Christ. destroy it's like what? fuck you who cares <laughs> So Talk about a fucking problematic piece of literature to begin with. It's like, yeah, yeah. The, the first, the first prominent Marvel superhero property featuring a woman's about some sort of sex, slavery, rape, fantasy nonsense. It's yeah. fucking gross as hell. Exactly, like, yeah, exactly. And, and that's and that's a about it's excellence. <laughs> basically, that like, he used he used Twitter as a tool to incite these these things, and so naturally, it's going to to to, to rise back. Uh, mm-hmm. at the occasion to do so but i and i agree that there that like a mob mentality or, or whatever like outrage culture whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it like it can get uh very uh unnuanced for lack of a better word and, and sort of like high and mighty um i'm glad that there are people keeping um companies i i guess like de facto in check it's not like they have any say in the matter but just like that's why he resigned is because people uh on twitter said a lot of stuff and then that leads to like the press saying stuff and then that leads to um a conversation between tim league and devin Fracci, where like tim league's you know uh stocks are in question and um i mean it's it's it, it can get really stupid uh if 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 you're you know going through some of these tweets but like I, I, I don't know. It, it's it's necessary on some level, and I mean, it's not like we have to read it or anything like that. But it, it's necessary, and and it even got to the point where I was like, you know, th- there were people at who wrote for who write for Birth Movies Death who, um, were interestingly quiet about this, even though they're like someone like Film Crit Hulk, uh, who like wrote like the stupidest series of columns after Trump went into office. Like the most base level criticism or like how to talk to your family at Thanksgiving um, about Trump, like uh, this stupid just like Crayola set of, uh, of, uh, pieces about, um, uh, this predatory figure, uh, gaining power. And he is the last person to say anything about, uh, this person who, who knows what their relationship is, but he obviously, uh, was working within the same proverbial office. And it's like, 
dude, you have a huge following. People are expecting to hear something from you. And it, it, I think it does matter. And maybe that's just my perspective as somebody who pays attention to, to Twitter a lot. But it, it's interesting when people are quiet and when they're loud, and especially when those issues have a lot of overlap. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I just don't know how to react to it. It's like I don't fucking want to know if a board member for AMC is fucking beating his wife. It's it's not fucking public knowledge. It's it's nothing. It's none of our fucking business. Yeah. Well, I think I think in this case, it almost had I to be done he's publicly. Made himself this fu- he he asked. Yeah. For yeah. 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 He yeah. Everyone off, and he made himself a huge public figure. And he he made all he made a lot of bones in the last few years about the very issues where he is being accused of violating, and thereby, yeah, you're gonna get fucking raked over the coals. But yeah. it's it, there's still a, a good part of me that says, like when I, I know when we were talking the other day, they had the victim had actually come out with a response, and like the first response to her reaction to this is just like, oh, fuck. Tim Lee and anyone who would ever call Devin Faraci a friend should burn in hell or something. I'm like, what? What sure. the fuck? Stop yeah, there are more it. nuanced ways to talk about. It. Like, I would love to hear like what Amy Nicholson has to say about this. As you know, as somebody who's close to him, has worked with him, uh, has talked about his progress, and is also a feminist. Like, I, I think that that's where like nuanced conversation uh, yeah, the, would the appropriate would response come is is I'm sorry that this happened to you. I you know. I, Feel some empathy for the victim. It's not. What the hell's the point of bringing a pitchfork to this? I I don't see. I don't. Especially when they cover music. (laughs) Yeah, and I think I think the problem we run into is uh, the the Twitter mob doesn't know when to stop Twitter mobbing. So in this case, I mean, obviously from the emails that have come out and from stories that have come out from other critics, like. It, concerns about Devin Faraci's behavior and the things that he's said, and the things that he's done, they have been raised before uh, privately, and it took a public outing to basically get action. So in that sense, when the victim came out and said something on Twitter, it made sense. But uh, to your point, yeah, like people just being like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 like jumping into her mansion. It's like, dude, fucking leave her alone. Like, again, like empathize with the victim and have some compassion for the victim and just fucking lay off. <laughs> And, and yeah. what what this says to me, like uh, sort of sort of like pulling out uh, themes that we can like think about uh, as as more than just Devin Faraci, um, but as sort of like an avatar for something. <clears throat> I think that uh, we talk sort of like pretty consistently um, off air about how weird it is when people when when dudes are um, so loud about their progressiveness and especially about their feminism um and i mean obviously this also just happened with joss whedon um and it it just seems to like pile up uh and it's just sort of like it's such a it's such a red flag when somebody especially when they're not talking about nuances and like uh like politics and, and and how power takes shape but they're just talking about like the latest avatar for feminism and how they're all behind it and how they're pre-ordering pieces of pop feminism you know it, it's just like that yeah. stuff it, it gets very worrisome when when that is uh w- a dude's um how he's using his platform and the way he chooses to discuss these things sure well especially because pop feminism is the key fucking word it, it, there's no like 
actual effort made. It's just like these easy signposts. Like, oh, Wonder Woman, oh, like, you weren't going to fucking go and jerk off in the theater, whatever fucking comic book movie they put out this month. But, yeah. oh, I can pretend to be woke, because it's got a lady. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think, yeah, it actually reminds me, it reminds me of, like, when you're, like, five years old, and there's some kid who won't stop talking about how cool his dad is. Like, yeah, my dad beat up Sylvester Stallone, and he's got three dicks, and he rides a motorcycle. And then it, it turns out, oh, little Timmy's dad has been dead for ten years. And, and that's that's exactly what this is. It's just... Probably died because he had three dicks. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot. To that's, that's a lot of dicks. Just health wise. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, a lot of things to keep track of. But I mean, the, a lot the of prostate cancer. <laughs> I think I think the best thing that that came out of this whole Faraji thing is, and I can't. It's going to bother me. I can't remember the name of the critic, but um, African American woman uh, film critic. She tweeted like Angel- Angelica Jade Barstein. Yeah, I think that's actually who it was. She tweeted uh, that. It wasn't the MRAs that scared her because she knew that they were piles of shit. It's the guy who won't shut the hell up about how big of a feminist he is that frightens her. Which is, I mean, that, yeah, and that's dude. exactly it because it's like, what are you compensating for, and why are you building these defenses? It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's words versus fucking actions. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Well, that's fucking Twitter in a nutshell. So, I, I will gladly stay the fuck off of it. But stay I on your farm, Myros. What we've learned from this conversation is that everyone does deserve a second chance, and and I'd like to personally extend Devin Faraci uh, an invitation to write. <laughs> oh, for are, you <laughs> oh, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? No. Get those clicks. You know. You know what I'd do? I'd be like, hey, Devin, we'll pay you fifty dollars, but um, what you have to do is you have to watch fucking uh, Nuki on a loop for twenty four hours and tell us how you feel <laughs> afterward. Like. Uh, yeah, Devin, if you could just watch Men Behind the Sun uh, for 72 hours straight without sleeping and then write like 1,500 words, we'd love to pay you for that. Yep, so so once again, we're going to tease. Uh, we are starting to Patreon, folks, and, and if you can get us to, say, 500 a month, Devin Faraci. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the idea of, of literally hiring Devin Faraji for like the bare minimum for freelance work, but only giving him things that will like just be emotionally distressing or like physically taxing for him to do. <laughs> well, you know, he's obviously got an alcohol problem. We got to keep him occupied. It's, yeah, it's, that's, it's not that's good true. for him to be idle. <laughs> it's the I devil's can. devil's playground or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh Jesus, uh, Coleman. What do you got, man? Yeah. How you doing over there? I'm good. You good? This is fucking great. Just letting the discourse wash over you, baby. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up. Uh, we are, we're, we're hitting our limit here. Uh, so, Coleman, what are you going to put over this week? I'm going to put over the uh, film Columbus. Oh, yeah? Which I just saw. It's a film about Columbus, Indiana. Well, Columbus is a character in the film. Not Columbus, like comma, Christopher. Oh. <laughs> hey, Columbus, it's very good. Uh, and I saw it in the town of Columbus, which was a very interesting experience. And immediately after the film was done, I saw it with like four people from the town of Columbus. And their immediate reaction was, well, that was different. <laughs> 
That sounds like some rural <laughs> Indiana goodness. Bringing endorsement from the townsfolk of what <laughs> of where this movie took place and was actually filmed in. Um, but a really uh, interesting marriage of uh, architecture and, um, you know, people sex. with problems. No sex. No sex. Uh, anybody with three dicks? Uh, there's sexual tension, but there's no sex. That's good. It's very good. Uh, John Cho's Finest Hour. Hey, that's all we need, baby. Uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Um, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I, I could, I could put over, you know, a, a movie or an album, but not only is it the fiftieth episode of Optimism Vaccine, it's the fifth year anniversary of Optimism Vaccine. So I want to put over OptimismVaccine.com because <laughs> I have been happy to have been a part of it. Uh, over the past five years uh, from your invitation, Steve. And uh, yeah, I just thanks for the opportunity. Guys, it, is, it has been my pleasure, and I, I speak for both me and Myros in saying that uh, it's been wonderful to have you guys working for us for five years and never paying you a dime. And uh, it just it, <laughs> it means the world to me to exploit you. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry we might have to let you go in lieu of Devin Farachi. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Do I even want to know? Chud.com. It's still around. Who knew? Yeah, did you guys know Chud.com? I, I will soon be working. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we're selling the site to Chud.com. We're going to be Chubdivism vaccine from now on. <laughs> By the Chud.com. That's our new URL. <laughs> What what's your favorite part of chud.com right now, Myros? You big chud fan? Uh, that logo with the manhole cover. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just make that up or is that actually a thing? No, that's a thing. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good to know. You come from the underground, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's What is what does chud, chud stand for? Wait, what is chud? It's chud humanoid underground dwellers. Wait, what's oh, the that's C? The original but the, the website is is apparently. Oh, I know what I know what the uh, yeah no I wanted the origin. Thank you, Steve. It, is that from a movie? Yeah, yeah. Chud. Chud. Oh, and it was movie. And, and it's like C uh, period H period U period D period. Yeah, and it's yeah. got it's got one of the the wet bandits in it. Yeah, Not Danny Daniel Vito. Stern in it. Yeah, Daniel Stern, wet bandit Daniel Stern. Oh. oh, so one of the sticky bandits as well. Yes, one of the sticky bandits as well. Apparently, Chud. Dot com stands for cinematic happenings under development. That's pretty shitty. That's a reach. I bite my fucking sweaty crank. <laughs> that that is a reach, Chud. That is a reach. <laughs> uh, let's rebrand, Chud. Okay, Maros, I'm so glad you decided to put over Chud.com. Um, I'm going to put over a little thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Seriously, go to Botchamania. Uh, check out their website or... Just go to their Facebook page on, on just Botchamania. Search for it on Facebook. They put up a great video of uh, Bobby Heenan clips from the '93 Survivor Series during the Hart family match. Uh, Sean, I'm expecting you to watch this one because even you, the ultimate wrestling hater, will appreciate the genius of Bobby the Brain Heenan. R.I.P. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna second you on that cuff, just because. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, even if you don't enjoy wrestling, Bobby Heenan. And for me, as a fan of comedy, genuinely was like part of the best. Was one of the best parts of watching wrestling. I was really yeah. upset to hear that he passed away. Even my dad, who hated wrestling, like would 
like hear the commentary and would be like, "All right, well, I'm kind of on board for this. This is actually really funny, even though you're watching this like fake huh. bullshit." Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I will check. The, so, um, is this is the brother of Patricia Patricia Heaton? <laughs> yes. Uh, I think I think father would probably be a better yeah, time. Father for would him. probably be better. Yeah. <laughs> the guy was like 72 when he died. Jesus, Sean. Come on. Okay. Uh, that about does it for us. Uh, <laughs> Coleman, last word's yours. Uh, there's a dead skunk in my yard. That's fucking weird. 